Hello and welcome to episode 7 of King's Landing. Um, we are in the middle of our first book here, Game of Thrones. However, this is actually Kate and Laurel from the future, I guess, <laughs> in the timeline. 2017, Kate and Laurel. <laughs> hey guys. Um, so we just did a really bad job of recording this, uh, this book. Um, chapters were out of order my part got dropped so i was trying to like re-record and like have an insightful commentary when i don't remember what i said and it was just not really fun um so that's really been holding up the editing process since it was taking up a lot of time and uh fun fact is that kate and i have actually recorded episodes for every single book every single chapter um <laughs> It's been about a year since the first episode came out, um, and that's because we've been using our time reading the books and talking about them, and that didn't leave a lot of time. So now that I have the time to go back through and re-edit them and uh, get them up, we're going to be doing that. Um, so from here on out, you should be seeing updates from us far more frequently, especially because season seven begins this month. Um, ah! So if you're listening to this around the time of the show coming out in July 2017, that is very exciting because we will be posting um, on our Twitter more frequently and also we'll be coming out every week with a show, um, with a podcast about our take on the show from each week. So we'll have seven episodes of the series and then we'll also be doing a pre-series kind of uh, da download about what we expect, our death pool, and some anything that we're hoping for for the next season. So that I think be... Jon Snow's gonna die. I think Gendry's going to appear. <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned. Yes. And I was totally joking about Jon Snow dying again. <laughs> um. So this. Uh, one of the things that made this episode a beast to edit the first time is that there are 14 chapters uh, because this was back when we were crazy and doing 12 chapters an episode. Don't worry. <laughs> By the time we get to the last book, we were doing seven. Um, and in addition, we ran out of time last week, so we added two more to the mix. So we're going to be a little bit more concise in and really only talk about the exciting parts because this section of chapters does have some super exciting parts that I know we will need to expound on. Uh, so without m any further ado, Kate, do you want to start us off? Yes. Okay. So I had two things to go over from the last episode. So um, we are in A Game of Thrones, like Laurel said, and for chapter 36 in Vyastothrak, um, you can go through the chapter and read a all the descriptions of the city it's quite impressive the show does a really good job of kind of demonstrating it but it's so brief in the show that it's just worth mentioning the two bronze stallions rearing and that's over 100 feet tall and there's no walls and buildings like they show in the show it's just a grassy plain and a purple mountain and notably only men are allowed on the mother mountains and there's the road lined with a bunch of monumental statues taken from cities that Thraki have won, like dragons and manticores and griffins. Uh, the Western Market has all the traders from free cities. And, um, of course, all weapons are forbidden. 
And this is the chapter where the Dashkaleen are introduced. So that's exciting for Daenerys's uh, season six Game of Thrones storyline, as well as the Winds of Winter Daenerys storyline, which we have yet to obviously see slash read. So that's all I have to say. Cool. <laughs> so um, uh, do we want to go right into chapter 37 then? Yes. Okay, and this was, so this still is pre this episode. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, in Winterfell Season 7, I did not remember from my previous three readings, but Winterfell has a, quote, winter town, unquote, outside of its gates in the surrounding area, and that fills up in the winter with farmers and other small folk in the large surrounding area. So again, this is not important to the vast majority of a Song of Ice and Fire, except for probably The Winds of Winter. So just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, Bran is trying out his new Tyrion-designed saddle, um, which highlights just exactly how vulnerable Bran's physical body is, and maybe what he'll be in future books. Uh, they're attacked by a few wildlings, two of whom are runaways from the Night's Watch, and again, the penalty for leaving the Night's Watch is death. So how Jon Snow will reckon with that in the Winds of Winter will be very... is something I'm looking forward to. All of them are killed except for Osha. We note that Theon is filled at archery. And there are dire wolves. So that's cool. And lastly, the reason cited for leaving the Wildlings and going south is because of the White Walkers, so this is an explicit mention of them. Which leaves us to finally get to the chapters that we're supposed to be talking about this week. <laughs> I just had a really quick thing from that chapter, yeah. um, which is that it's an interesting mention that the Wildlings say that uh, Mance Raider would pay a lot of money for a relative of Benjamin Stark. Mm. Um, so that makes me kind of wonder... I mean, the obvious meaning behind that is that um, they would be valuable hostages to Mance, but we also know that Benjen is, like, very devout, devout in the Brotherhood and probably wouldn't betray the Night's Watch even for someone like Bran. Um, so it kind of makes me wonder if, like, Mance knows something about Benjen's whereabouts we don't. It also seems as if Mance still thinks Benjen is alive. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just something really interesting to me. Good one. Cool. Um, so if that's all for that chapter, we can move on to chapter uh, 38, which is the first chapter that we're actually supposed to be covering on this episode, right? Yes, we're reading chapters 38 to 50 in A Game huh. of Thrones. Cool. Okay, so um, this chapter is all about Tyrion. He's still in the sky cell at the Eyrie, which is terrifying for someone who hates heights the way I do. Um, it's basically like an open cell, uh, like one of the walls just isn't there and there's like a thousand foot drop. Um, and it also slants downward. So Tyrion is afraid to fall asleep because he's like, what if I roll out? So that's pure Casual. torture. <laughs> um, and so he's being guarded by this guy named Mord who isn't very smart. <laughs> and Mord also isn't giving Tyrion food. So that's fun. Basically, Tyrion tricks Mord bribes Mord more like uh, with some gold and um, gets him to take him back to Lysa by saying that he will confess 
and then he does this thing which is so cool because he does the exact same thing in his trial um so this is almost like a pure foreshadowing to his trial um in storm of swords where he's like i'll confess i'll confess and then he's like i'm a vile man <laughs> i've whored around a lot i've gambled a lot uh, I have wished my own father and sister dead, uh, blah, blah, blah. And so they're all like, yeah, that's fine. But like, you have to confess that you tried to murder Bran. And he's like, oh, I didn't do that. <laughs> it wasn't me. Okay, Tyrion. <laughs> yeah, so it's cool because he does the exact same thing. So it's a great kind of mirror um, setup of Tyrion's motives and like habits there. Um so uh, he requests a trial by combat um, and then again tries to pull a fast one by saying that he wants Jamie. And then uh, Lys is like, no, no. And then Bronn decides he will be a champion for Tyrion. Yeah, I love the, the parallel between uh, Tyrion needing a champion for a trial by combat and Jamie literally not being able to be there, and then Cersei in a dance with dragons also needing and wanting jamie to be her champion and he's you know mia and it's also cool because he's like well if i'm i've been taken captive i'm sure that my brother and father and sister are waging war for me right now and so it's so interesting to see how that relationship just completely deteriorates over like a book and a half because they really are. We'll see in the next couple of chapters that they actually are planning a war to get Tyrion back. Yeah. So, R.I.P. Lannister family fawn. My comments for this chapter were pretty short. I commented that Tyrion would have excellent cursing. So I assume there were some good lines <laughs> in there. Um, yes. Let's see. Oh, this is our second quote. Eerie is impregnable comment Tyrion says yes. it's not impregnable merely inconvenient so hello my eerie attack theory is in play here I think I've said that and, at uh, this point yeah I think we've said that quite a few times because it's just so obvious but you know when George R. R. Martin describes a castle as impregnable it is probably quite pregnable just wait for it uh huh um, I, I, I think that I had in my notes, I said, can I call this Shekhov's impregnable castle? <laughs> Permission so granted. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. Chapter 39? Sure. This takes place all the way back in King's Landing, so we are in the south. This is a Ned chapter. So this is really cool because, oh my gosh, it's a TOJ chapter. <laughs> A small TOJ <laughs> chapter, but yes. Uh, so Ned's Ned thinks he dreamt an old dream of three knights in white cloaks and a tower long fallen, and Liana in her bed of blood. Oh, this is so good! I just, I, I was just rewatching season six, and this is perfect. So Ned was with Martin Castle, who's Jory's father, Theo Wool, Ethan Glover. Sir Mark Riswell, Howland Reed, and Lord Dustin. The King's Guard were Arthur Dane, the Sword of the Morning, with Dawn, his sword. Sir Oswald Went, Sir Gerald Hightower, the White Bull. Which is interesting because we do not see a lot of Hightowers, and we are not going to see them until the Winds of Winter. 
they're mentioned in A Feast of Dragons, but this is where... Mm-hmm. So, wait for T-Wow, guys. It's going to be awesome, I think. I don't know, but anyway. <laughs> uh, so, Castle and the rest are buried in Dorne at the Tower of Joy because Ned and Helen Reed were the only survivors of this. So, um, after Lyanna died, Ned had the tower pulled down and used its, quote, bloody stones to build eight cairns upon the ridge. So that's kind of sad. Um, and meanwhile, in King's Landing, Sansa is praying. Arya is just angry. Cersei is also angry, but her anger is cold. So that's an interesting um, comment based on where we think Cersei's plot is heading in the future. And my favorite line from this chapter is, how do you fight someone if you can't hit them? And I think I have the answer to that because I'm pretty sure that it has to be mental. So we're talking possibly about a Bran psychic battle. Oh, interesting. I don't know. I just saw it as like Robert's clear lack of tact. <laughs> yes. And diplomacy. Yes. But um, yeah, so I mean, the only really exciting thing that happens in this chapter other than TOJ stuff is Ned confronting Cersei and Robert because Cersei accuses Ned of like drunkenly attacking Jamie, and then Robert doesn't know whose side to take. And then we find out that they have actually sent people to kill Daenerys. Ready to go on to chapter 40. Um, so Catelyn is uh, at the Eyrie again near this waterfall named Alyssa's Tears, uh, which I, I, I remember um, you love this story and yeah. enjoy talking about it. So I'll leave that to you. Um, so we get some news of the realm. So uh, as I said earlier, like the Lannisters are literally creating an army to win Tyrion back. Jaime is gathering this army at Casterly Rock. Um, and then River Run is where they're intending to attack. Um, and so she's talking to her brother Edmure about this and there's letters happening. Um, Lysa tries to do like a little power grab and not tell Catelyn that this letter has come to like I don't know Lysa's just not a very nice person as we know um, so the duel is about to happen and Catelyn tries to talk to Lysa and she's like we shouldn't execute Tyrion can't you see that war is about to happen blah 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 and like it's not it's really not smart to have a trial by combat we need to at least like have a show of justice here and then um Lysa just kind of goes crazy and starts like screaming at her and is like blah 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 my son Robin blah 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 <laughs> I think that's a pretty apt translation sweet Robin sweet Robin yeah <laughs> and so they have the fight and uh it's pretty fun and exciting because like in the middle of the floor there's a hole and that hole it's called the moon door, and if you <laughs> fall through it, you will die. Splat. Um, we also get a flashback where Catelyn is remembering the duel between Brandon Stark and Peter Baelish, so we can talk about that a little bit. And in the end, uh, Tyrion's champion, Bronn, wins, and so Tyrion will not fly. Yeah, we're definitely not biased at all in this chapter. No, not in the slightest. 
Uh, I'll begin with what you mentioned, uh, the, uh, the tears waterfall. So I think that it's Lady Stoneheart foreshadowing in that this whole thing about this waterfall is because one of an ancient Aaron's lack of tears, there was just a general lack of emotion over the deaths of literally her entire family, like husband and children. So the waterfall was named after her and it was like, this will be representative of all of the tears that you did not weep for eternity. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kind of dark. Um, but, and so when Catelyn is killed at the Red Wedding and Lady Stoneheart emerges, she's raked her fingernails all down her cheeks. Mm. Um, sorry to get slightly yeah. graphic here. <laughs> um, but so that's kind of tears and um, emotion around a woman and the deaths of her family. So I just made that connection there. Uh, I don't think you mentioned... Um, stepping into a new subject, the blackfish getting out of Lysa's craziness. Oh yeah, that and returning too. to River Run. So that's just a little side mention. And speaking of Casterly Rock, I'm really disappointed that it wasn't in the show because I really would like to see it. So maybe at one point we'll be graced with Casterly Rock. Yeah, in next week's episode when we talk about season seven predictions that's one of my predictions is that we'll see casterly <laughs> okay i wanted to say something about caitlin's memory of a tournament fight between brandon and peter baelish that laurel mentioned and basically what happened is catelyn was already engaged to brandon so he had her token but of course peter had a long-standing crush on her brandon gave littlefinger a dozen wounds to the point that Littlefinger was pretty much, like, was he, is it fair to say he was kind of dying? Or at least very much injured? He was badly injured, but Catelyn had been like, please don't hurt him. Don't kill him. So, like, yeah, I don't think he, like, purposely injured him in any, like, deadly way. Okay. So we're not talking about Joffrey, for example. Right. Right. This was kind of like, he's like, okay, I get that you're a little childhood friend has a crush on you and I have to like (laughs) put on a show to get him to stop but like I don't want to kill him okay yeah and the sweet thing is Peter wouldn't yield because he's stubborn AF and that's Um. really why he got injured in the end was because he wouldn't (laughs) yield Um, but that was the last time she saw him and till King's Landing and present day so that's just like whoa and it's It's been a long time definitely important to note this is her perspective of the events because mm-hmm. in later chapters um, we'll talk about what Peter remembers of this which isn't a lot because he was pretty much drunk on like <laughs> alcohol that was meant as a painkiller so um, he misremembers things that happen and then we'll get Lysa's perspective on this night and we'll find out what really happened so that's yeah. a fun little mystery that we'll piece ahead yeah. piece together up ahead which I hadn't, like, really thought through on my previous reread, so this really clarified, or our future conversation clarified it for me. So it's something to look forward to, like Laurel said. Cool. Um, and the last thing here about Peter is that he has a vendetta against Edmure for being Brandon's squire that day. So, Littlefingers has a bunch of random vendettas. 
Yeah, it's funny it's for thing. someone who's so calculating and logical, when it comes to Cat and this specific issue, he's just like loses all semblance of logic and self preservation. Yeah. Which might translate to Sansa. We will see. Hopefully. T B D. Of course yeah. we don't have Lady Stoneheart in the show to be our little um example of what's to come. <laughs> All right, we're headed up to Castle Black. So this is a John chapter. So all the boys are going to become brothers except for Sam. John advocates for Sam to study under Maester Aemon. Um, so he does become a brother this day. And as an addition to Aemon's existing assistants, Clytus and Shut, which will be um, two relatively important characters um, in this book to come. Remember that they'll now have a grudge against Sam and John because they no longer have jobs. Important to note. Yeah. And that's all I have for that chapter. We're off. Now we are back to the mountain. Oh, I remember complaining about this because it felt like every other chapter was a Tyrion or a cat chapter. <laughs> and, and like... what in this part of the book it's like Tyrion cat Tyrion cat mm -hmm. but again that was before a lot of incredible world building that he does in the next few books so don't worry about that in future. yeah if I remember correctly Laurel got real angsty about cat <laughs> oh my god I just she's my least favorite character I'm sorry she just is oh yeah I'll I'm sure I will rant about her in the future we digress okay <laughs> So Tyrion and Bronn are walking the high road through the mountains, um, and he and Bronn are kind of chatting, and Tyrion's like, so why did you decide to fight for me? Um, and it turns out that it's probably because of gold, because Bronn knew that Tyrion had a lot of money. Uh, so it's really easy to look at Bronn as like Tyrion's friend. Um, that's like an, a common thing, but that's not really accurate um and you shouldn't trust him as a friend in the future to Tyrion. um it's also important to note that Bronn is almost as good with the sword as jamie uh that is something that is talked about okay so then we end up getting the story of taisha uh in this chapter and taisha is um a woman who Tyrion decided to marry uh when he was 13 years old because um they he and Jamie basically saved her from getting raped and murdered um and so she they fall in love after he saves her and uh he has her as like his first time and she's a virgin too and they get married and like run away together and for a couple weeks like actually live a married life um until Tyrion's father finds out and then um it turns out at the end that Jamie tells Tyrion that the girl was actually a whore who he paid to set this whole thing up because he thought that it was high time that Tyrion lost his virginity. Um, and so then Tywin basically sets it up where he gives a ton of his guards money. And so they pay her and have sex with her and he makes Tyrion watch. Well, they're raped. And it's really or she is raped. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And this is something that will always haunt Tyrion because this story will change where he's like, I don't know if she was actually a whore getting paid or if she was getting raped. Like, I don't know. Should I have trusted her? Should I have abandoned her? 
was she really ever in love with me? Like, this is something that clearly haunts Tyrion. And so we get a lot of that backstory on why Tyrion has issues with commitment. Yeah. <laughs> and likes worrying Haunting around. to the point of this is something that we still saw in A Feast of Dragons. Um, like, and so uh, the next morning we get to meet the hill people. What are they called? The clans? The, the mountain clans. The mountain clans. The mountain clans come out and so they're pretty interesting. They're like basically an indigenous warrior folk of the Vale and so Tyrion is a complete diplomat and uh, ends up actually rather than getting killed by them gets them on his side and promises to pay them when they he gets back um, with his family to King's Landing yes okay so ready to move on to chapter 43 yes so Ned is sitting on the Iron Throne in lieu of Robert while he is on his hunting trip. Keep, please keep Robert hunting trip on your mind. That will be yes. important later. So the Iron Throne here is described as extremely uncomfortable. And of course, for Ned, his whole character of not wanting to be in charge, of not wanting Seven Kingdoms, of actually walking away from that throne when he came into King's Landing after Robert's rebellion. We have news that the whole fast of Wendish Town and Mummersport have been destroyed, and most of the share hold fast. So just more destruction in the land by Gregor Clegane. So this is a delicate situation for Ned because he thinks the mountain have instructions to destroy the hold fast from Tywin as a strategic move to weaken the forces that River Run. Ned makes the game plan, game decision, to send Thoros and Beric, Thoros of Mirren and Beric Dondarrion off to kill the mountain. This will be super important. Keep Thoros and Beric on your mind. Uh, the catch here is that Ned may be going against Tywin's wishes, which would put him at odds with Cersei and Jaime, and therefore put Robert in an equally delicate situation because he has to balance the Lannisters with actually good governments. <laughs> yep. And Robert sucks at that. <laughs> yep. We can see that Ned is much better at this than Robert was because we've seen Robert on the throne as well. Um, so moving on to Sansa. Yeah. Okay. Can I just say sweet baby Sansa? <laughs> Poor sweet baby. <laughs> She's like, this is Still full on sweet girl, child, <laughs> naive, innocent young Sansa. I love her so much. So she's dreaming of Lady. She misses Lady, her wolf. I miss Lady. Um, I know. And then Septa Mordain comes and brings her and Arya to her father. Um, and he has decided that th he's sending them both back to Winterfell. Neither one wants to go. And, uh, Sansa's like, but I've done nothing wrong. You should send Arya away instead. <laughs> and he's just like, aw. And this is like a really sad moment because what if he had managed to get them away? Right? He was um, pretty close. It was yeah. a matter of a day. I mean... Exactly. Um, And then so Sansa's sad. She's upset about this. And then she's like, I love Joffrey, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and Arya's God. like, he's... uh. Raven and a liar. And then Sansa shots fired. And then Sansa <laughs> says like this thing. He goes, He's not. He's not the least bit like that old drunken king. 
And that's when Ned's like, oh, shit, I get it. I get it. Um, so that's the important thing to happen in this chapter is that Sansa makes that connection for Ned. That was an interesting point. I don't yeah. remember that. Yeah. I feel like this chapter, like, someone needs to read this, and then I would recommend, like, anyone in middle school and high school, <laughs> um, boy or girl, if you ever feel silly about a crush, like, read this chapter and then <laughs> watch the episode of season six where Sansa and Jon are reunited at Castle Black and how she's apologizing for being an awful teenager and then just like think about that <laughs> I love it like literally like this is why I love Sansa so much because I feel like she's completely like forgivable like in a way I think Arya is unrealistically like the cool little girl who is so awesome because she's so manly and rejects the art of ladiness oh I don't feel that way about her well, that's, like, that's the vibe I get a lot from the internet is that, like, we hate Sansa because she's so feminine and such a silly little girl. And we love Arya. She's, like, strong and kills people like men do. Well, Arya's annoying to me, too. Yeah. I mean, we all know how I feel about Arya. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I, I think that it's he does a really good job of making Sansa a realistic and flawed teenager, like, Mm-hmm. It that's yeah. part of being a teenager, um, mm-hmm. and so watching her mature into being a, a a strong woman is like one of my favorite parts of this series. Um, yeah, I I mean like I personally apologize to my mom every time I see her, and I'm like I'm sorry for everything I said to you from the age of twelve to nineteen. Like <laughs> I'm just I'm really sorry. I. Don't mean any of it. My brain was in a fog. My body and mind were not connected. Literally, also, I feel like until I was nineteen, like something. I was just in a cloud of hormones. (laughs) Yeah. So my first note on this chapter is literally, Sans is so stupid. Period. (laughs) (laughs) So I was a little bit harsh with this. Uh, this chapter is also the second time that Littlefinger makes Sansa uneasy. And again, this is on Littlefinger's side, going back to his feelings about Catelyn when they were growing up, when they were teenagers. Uh, Sansa is very curious about what Gregor's head on a spike would look like. So, pros to teenage Sansa. Yeah, she good one. She has this violent, <laughs> this violent streak in her that I think goes unnoticed, but she definitely isn't like towering away from the gore and harder truths of the world yeah she has a i think a hard interior yeah and then we also find out in this chapter particularly that sansa is capable of real intuitiveness and both mistrusting Littlefinger because in her gut she's saying like something about this like I something about this is wrong. This isn't someone I can trust a hundred percent. Ready to go on to chapter forty-five. Yes, we get another Ned chapter here. <laughs> I can see how you might have gotten kind of angry about this. <laughs> <laughs> I it's not that I don't like Ned, and I definitely miss his perspectives, especially on things like the Tower mm-hmm. of Joy and later books. It's just like I like some diversity and 
and my points of mm-hmm. view here. Yeah, wow. we got along fabulously in later books because there's a lot more variety. <laughs> yes, more characters too. So yeah. Okay, so chapter forty-five. Um, broad strokes. Ned confirms that Tywin is super angry about Ned sending off the men to go kill Gregor to go kill the mountain. Because, of course, the mountain is kind of one of Tywin's most valuable trump cards, most valuable assets. Ned intuits in this chapter that Pycelle is very much a Lannister man. So Ned is still reading Grandmaster Malian's lineage and histories to figure out if there's anything funky going on. He tells Arya and Sansa in this chapter that he's shipping them back to Winterfell via the Wind Witch, which is the ship out of Brothos. Captain by Captain Kos, um, which we'll see in the next Ned POV chapter. Cersei and Ned talk in the Godswood, so maybe you can cover that. And then lastly, oh, my last comment is about Ned's reaction to that conversation, so I'll let you um, explain that. Yeah. So I love this conversation because it really shows off both of these characters in a more sympathetic light than you would normally be able to see um so for example Cersei is like not trying to deny the fact that uh Jamie is the father of her children and instead is just like I would do anything for my children blah 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 um and also talks about how horrible Robert was to her um and it turns out that on their wedding night Robert actually called her Liana so, I mean, she cu- she ends up being a little bit more sympathetic. But then also, I think Ned treats her very kindly. He's giving her the chance to get out of the city with her kids rather than um, he knows that they could possibly face murder if Robert found out what actually had happened. So he's being sympathetic to her. He She's showing a much more sympathetic character than normal. It's just a very interesting perspective that shows a lot of nuance in both of their personalities. Um, and uh, it's also interesting because Cersei brings up Jon Snow as a parallel where she's like, hey, you fathered a bastard, you're not perfect. And then he just kind of changed the sub- changes the subject. So Can that's I just also say, interesting. I wanted that point that you bring about of Cersei having a different attitude in this than she has in literally any other part of the series is very interesting. And I wonder, because she has this moment, if that is kind of the last human, like, really vulnerable moment she has in this series. And the really the only point where she's able to be very honest because she has other vulnerable moments like the walk of shame is definitely you know you can't be more vulnerable than being naked in front of you know thousands of people but this is a emotional vulnerability that she only allows herself to see really and that's really interesting how it never pops up again I think that this is her worst nightmare coming true mm-hmm. is that this is coming out and her life as she knows it will end um, and, and it's a stroke of luck that Robert gets killed when he does um, and that Ned is the only one 
it, Ned doesn't tell anybody else until after Robert passes away. That is entirely lucky to her because I, I don't know if you've ever kind of hit what you've seen a rock bottom in your life. You just become so much stronger after that. When your worst nightmare happens, you just are kind of like, okay, I've dealt with this. That happened and I survived it. So now I can go on and do whatever I need to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what we see with Cersei here is that her worst nightmares happened. And from here on out, she never wants to feel that way again. Interesting. Cersei's, quote, eyes burned green fire in the dusk. Wildfire eyes. (laughs) Yeah. The only other comment I have is that it's a very odd intimacy, this Mm -hmm. Cersei and Ned moment, like, touching her hair and her face. Like, okay, like, I don't really get it. I think it's Ned. Ned is incredibly empathetic, and so he sees her, how much this is difficult for her to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. So he's almost trying to comfort her while accusing her. So for chapter 46, it is a Daenerys chapter in Vest of Thrak. This is Danny's heart eating, horse heart eating, (laughs) and Viserys' death. The Dosh Kaleen and Dothraki traditions are introduced in this chapter. So without further ado, here is the Dosh Kaleen's prophecy. Quote, I have seen his face and heard the thunder of his hooves. As swift as the wind he rides, and behind him his calixar covers the earth. Men without number, with arats shining in their hands like blades of razor grass. Fierce as a storm this prince will be. His enemies will tremble before him, and their wives will weep tears of blood and rend their flesh in grief. The bells in his hair will sing his coming, and the milkmen and the stone tents will fear his name. The prince is riding, and he shall be the stallion who mounts the world. So, based on my thoughts and also the Reddit community, which I consulted for this, I think the thunder means that this is foreshadowing that the prophecy is not about any man. But it could be about Drogon. Um, I'm 100% behind the idea that Drogon is the stallion who is promised, especially (laughs) because, like, um, they don't know what dragons are, and so they probably wouldn't have a good translation for dragon. So, like, if she's calling him the stallion who rides, even if she thinks it's a metaphor, she might actually be seeing a four-legged creature flying around. Um, and it just ends up being more literal than she was expecting. Um, I also think that it makes sense given the fact that uh, she um, she really does sacrifice her unborn child's life to bear the eggs into life and make the eggs hatch. So at this point, in early July, late June 2017, the new footage for season 7 have been published by HBO and one of them is just gold. It's all of the Dothraki charging in full um, battle regalia with Drogon flying low over them and that is, that's this. Literally. Yeah. Exactly. So that's just I think validation of the fandom but also of our opinions. So pat on the back. Although I will say, I, I have to do a quick little social justice warrioring here, which is that one frustration of mine with these books is the 
appropriation of indigenous culture and beings uh, by Daenerys, mm-hmm. who is like traditionally, we get a lot of Daenerys the white savior, especially when it comes to the slavery and Slaver's Bay. Mm-hmm. But um, it's kind of frustrating to see the Dothraki, who are very obviously supposed to be an indigenous race, um, have like even all of their mythology leading up to Daenerys coming and taking them to a whole other world and just using them as soldiers. It's a little, it's a little problematic and frustrating. So, um, as I just always like to point out, where we can like these cultural problematic happenings, not as like a criticism of the series as a whole, but just as a, hey, gotta acknowledge it, gotta say this is a place where some mm-hmm. people might find fault with the series. I think that the comments that you just made are very, you know, important, and also. I think a real impetus towards George that he's written himself into, which is to not make them just soldiers, to make them have mm-hmm. some important part of either Daenerys's rule over Westeros or have a distinguished part to play in Westeros during or after the Long Night. And to exactly. not make them a... just into people who will fight for her. It's a very redeemable plot. Yeah. He has enough wiggle room. He can definitely write his way out. And that's also one of the cool things that this book is spanning so much time where we now live in a in a culture where even like 20 years ago you could say things on TV that no one would ever say today. Like we're starting to self-correct as a society and as a culture. So I really hope that he can maybe correct some of those things in Daenerys' plot and it'll be awesome. Well then, we do you want to go on to the most exciting part of this chapter? I think the show translates this so well. Shout out to Harry Lloyd because I think he does such a good job as Viserys in translating uh, the Viserys of the books almost impeccably to the screen. Um, because in the, in the scene when he's like, I want my crown, blah, 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 and he's like crazy and threatening Daenerys. And then Khal Drogo tr- says, you shall have a splendid crown, blah, blah, blah. And Viserys, he just smiles and is like, that's all I ever wanted. And Daenerys says that the fact that he smiled is what saddened her the most. Because she knows what's going to happen. Everyone knows what's going to happen except for Viserys. And just, I, this scene moves me so much because it's like, you see that Viserys is just mentally unstable. Um, and then just at the very end, Daenerys thinks to herself that Viserys wasn't a dragon because fire cannot kill a dragon. And this is something that okay, I want to keep <laughs> bringing back to because on the one hand, it seems that Daenerys is convinced that fire won't harm her and she doesn't feel heat because she's a dragon. And then John, who we know is a Targaryen, gets burned. His hand gets burned and he talks about the pain in several further chapters. And then George says that Daenerys's inflammability was a freak accident that would only happen once and so it makes me wonder if this is one of those moments where it's I I kind of as much as I hate the mad queen theory it makes me wonder if Daenerys is headed down that road and if she'll actually end up dying in fire because she just thinks that she won't burn well I can bring a positive spin to this and say because she was burned in season (laughs) six and came out perfectly fine with hair intact she'll she can make it through at least one more firestorm so i still think it could happen differently in the books but we shall see 
AKA her hair will be burned off again. <laughs> yeah, the hair that's my thing. thing is something that Sorry. still bugs me. Like, why? Why? She could be bald. Amelia Clark is gorgeous. They did she it for Cersei. Yeah. 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 Whatever. Just saying, you can grow her hair fast so it's already in a bob. Whatever. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Just make it more realistic. God, a show with flying dragons. <laughs> make it more realistic, please. <laughs> Okay, rant done. We're going to get to the extra part. Yes. We actually only have four chapters left? Yeah. Awesome. So, oh, this is a good chapter. Um, that's a joke. I hate this chapter. <laughs> um, so, Ned is dreaming of the crypts beneath Winterfell. How can you hate this chapter? Later on. You know I'm Not going to part. love it. Not this part, okay. but... So Ned is dreaming of the crypts beneath Winterfell. I will save that part all for you because I know you want to talk about it. Um, and so when he wakes up, uh, Robert demands his presence at once. And he comes and he's like, oh no, what happened? Um, and it turns out that Robert was gored by a boar. And so, uh, yeah, it's very obvious that Robert isn't going to live. Robert talks to Ned um, and says that Ned was right about Daenerys and says that he this was punishment for him killing a child. And so that's interesting that at the very end here, Robert does repent his actions towards Daenerys. Littlefinger comes and, um, and Ned tells Littlefinger all of his plans. He's like, oh, I just sent this letter to Stannis and I think blah, blah, blah. And uh, Littlefinger advises him to bend the knee to Joffrey and so they argue about that a little bit um and uh Ned ends up saying that um he needs Littlefinger's help and he knows that Littlefinger will help him because he owes Catelyn um and so Littlefinger agrees to get the city watch on Ned's side we are now moving on to chapter 48 John Yes. Back at Castle Black, John gets his wish of Sam being able to become a legitimate brother of the Night's Watch. So Sam will become Aemon's assistant. Uh, there is a drunken Septon referenced, and that is Septon Saladar. So I love like how him. we always have to talk about the drunken Septon every time he's mentioned, because <laughs> somehow in the many times that we read this series before, we never noticed there was a drunk Septon at the wall. So now we have to mention him every time. <laughs> Gotta. Yeah. I really like him in the wildling uh, I just like that he exists up. and that we didn't notice ever before this reread. Yeah. Love you, Septon. Septon Watch Solidar. him be super okay. important. Um, John, <laughs> you never know. The seven work in mysterious ways. It's true. <laughs> Uh, John and Sam take their vows for the Night's Watch at the Godswood beyond the wall. So I think this is the first time that we actually go beyond yeah, the wall so. as a reader. So that's really cool. Uh, and we can talk about the Godswood. And then Ghost finds a hand at the oh, end I of this chapter. Oh, I forgot about that. Dun, dun, dun. So um, about this, just real quick about the Godswood. The Godswood is a grove of nine werewoods, which is unprecedented. This is like an unusually 
a large amount of werewoods all together in the same place because in like all the castles for example your werewood um will be your godswood will be one werewood and winterfell there's one werewood so this is pretty crazy that there's nine altogether uh this is another ned chapter guys it king's landing again um so ned tries to get the small council together to confirm him to be the basically the ruler pro tem um but the council gets interrupted because joffrey demands everyone come to the throne room and give him fealty um then cersei ends up like Ned tries to be like, no, but I have this signed statement from Robert, and Cersei rips it in half, and is like, your paper ain't good he's here. He's dead. Yes, he's dead. It doesn't matter. And then Ned tries to tell everyone what Joffrey actually is and who Joffrey actually is. Um, he gets arrested by the City Watch, um, and all of his men get killed because. Littlefinger betrayed him and put his odds with Cersei. So, if we want to talk about um, ju- like how horrifying this is, it would be almost as if um, this the United States Senate like decided not to even give a Supreme Court nominee hearings, and instead waited over a year. So that a different president could confirm a Supreme Court seat. Like, it That's is that so crazy. much of an unprecedented power grab where it's like, well, it's not technically illegal, but like, wh- it's still usurping the way that this country is supposed to be ruled. That's, that's the best kind of analogy I can mm-hmm. make. Mm-hmm. I had a lot to say about this. Um, some of it is observation. Some of it is just what's going on in the chapter. So I'm going to try and uh, condense. Uh, first of all, Maegers hold fast. Square fortress in the Red Keep. You need to know there are 12 foot thick walls and a dry moat that's lined with spikes. So important in case King's Landing is attacked in the future. We also find out that the Hound, Sandor Clegane, has not been informed about the hunt for Gregor yet. So that's probably a bad thing. Then there's the whole succession thing. Littlefinger would have Ned support Joffrey, which would lead to a potential Joffrey and or Renly battle for assuming the throne. Ned would prefer to support Stannis, but Stannis would be a shitty king. And we already know this. So Renly supports Robert's plan, which is to have Ned as protector until Joffrey is of age. Because as of now, Renly does not have his hat in the ring, so to speak, to be king. Um, furthermore, Ned asks Littlefinger for the gold cloaks in order to make sure that Joffrey and the Lannisters are kicked out of King's Landing. You get the vibe, or at least I got the vibe, that Littlefinger has already chosen sides and not in Ned's favor, unfortunately for Ned. So all of what Laurel mentioned occurs. Ned's men are killed by the city watch and Littlefinger threatens Ned with the dagger. So now we're going on to chapter 50. Dun, 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 dun. Last chapter for today. Quick rundown. 
this is an aria chapter finally some variety so we talk about Sirio um, Sirio is teaching Arya to see hear taste and smell the I have a spell capital letters truth I do remember we had this discussion um, if we think Sirio is actually dead or not mm. what do you think I think he is just because we since we've now completed our reread there's no compelling evidence to me that he might still be alive so i would have that in the show there's evidence two occasions i can think of one when aria is confronting uh, trant marin trant yeah um so when she's stabbing him I think he says that, or no, Arya says you killed Syria for all. And then on another occasion, I think, oh crap, I just forgot it. I think Arya says it another time as well in the show. So I am convinced, at least in show canon, Syria is dead. And like I said, in the books, I don't have any evidence to believe he's alive. I would agree with you in show canon because if they can't bother to bring back Catelyn there's no way they're gonna bring back yeah <laughs> unfortunately harsh um but I still am a big fan of the crackpot that um while there are more than one faceless man faceless men out there so like the person who is mm -hmm. currently in Old Town is one faceless man blah 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 they actually interchange disguises a lot more than we see and so I think there's one faceless mm -hmm. man who is kind of mentoring Arya this whole time, who appears as Sirio first, and it starts here. who is then um, Jake mm -hmm. and Hagar, who is then the kindly man. I love that crackpot Maybe. so much. So I want that to be true. Yeah, maybe. Cool. That would be really interesting. I definitely subscribe to the theory that Jockin and the kindly man are the yeah. same. Because I just get that I vibe. just like the idea because Sirio is Bravosi. He's really the first one. It's almost mm -hmm. as if he's, like, grooming Arya initially to be, like, this, like... He, like, picks her out and is like, this is someone who I'm going to make sure we get among our ranks. So, speaking of Arya, I wanted to talk about how Arya faces a dangerous situation. So, first, she has a lot of anger, and then her survival instinct is amazing. She's frantic, she's like freaking out, but then she's calm and clear thinking and remembers Sirio's lessons so right away, especially getting this so young, she she's internalizing all of this. So she's scared, but she has this very uh, focused instinct, which is really cool, especially as a child, because I don't know how many children are very clear thinking like that. Sansa, I don't think, is that way. So that's the difference between the yeah. two sisters. We also have foreshadowing in this chapter of Cat of the Canals because Arya identifies it as a cat, the cat <laughs> being chased. Um, and she's very commonsensical. She's already thinking about what she could take with her to sell if she had to flee King's Landing. And then she experiences some minor terror as she kills the stable boy. Yeah. So that's all interesting. Uh, so thanks for listening to us on another episode of King's Landing. 
if you would like to comment on anything that we've discussed for this chapter or these chapters or any other podcasts, please feel free to contact us, reach out at on Twitter at King's Landing Pod. Um, again, questions, comments, etc. For longer stuff, please don't hesitate to contact us via email, which is kingslandingpod at gmail.com. We are so happy and thrilled to get um, all of your questions, all your comments, and we'll, we will endeavor to answer them either by tweet, by email, or by podcast. So especially now that we're finally in editing mode and getting these out at the same time that we're also starting season seven, I'm sure you guys have a lot of comments. So we're excited! Yay! Um, so shout out to Kate for being willing to re-record this with me so that I could edit it and not lose my mind. Uh, shout out um, to Laurel for editing everything. Come on. <laughs> so, um, uh, with that, I will say good night. So, we drink. And we know things. Cheers, everybody. Bye.